And we're back with another episode of the Edward Mullen Podcast. I'm your host, Edward Mullen, and this is episode 19, where I discuss my recent trip to Europe and other things. Alright, so we have a lot of things to talk about. I have a new book coming out. Um, obviously, my Europe trip, I want to recap some of the stories and uh, But before we get into that, uh, there's a story that came out on Huffington Post on March 14th titled, Woolly Mammoth Clone is Now Possible, Says Scientists. And the article is stating that there was uh, some remains of a woolly mammoth found in Siberia last summer, and scientists are now saying that they have enough blood and bone to bring this Ice Age icon kicking and stomping into the modern age. And how they would do this is they would put the uh, DNA and clone it somehow with that mystical scientific technology, but in inside of an elephant, because I guess the DNA is similar enough. But I guess the lead scientist says, science won't just make any attempt to play God. We must have a reason to do this, as it is one thing to clone for scientific purposes, and yet another to clone for the sake of curiosity. So I discussed this with Sarah the other day, and my stance was different than hers. I said, yes, 100% clone this woolly mammoth, because you don't need a good reason to do something. You should do it for the sake of doing it, to set eyes on a woolly mammoth, something that nobody on this planet can say they've done, a a beast that is uh, walked the earth you know, 10,000 years ago. We're getting to see it with our own eyes. I think that's reason enough. Sarah would contend, like, well, what's the point of that? We can't just, you know, play God, essentially what the scientist is saying. We can't just put it in a cage. I say, why not? We put things in cages all the time. And, I mean, what is the purpose of anything? What's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of, you know, baking or, you know, doing arts and crafts or, you know, we do things just to do it because it's, it's fun, it's entertaining. Maybe there's something that we can learn. And now Sarah says, if we introduce this beast into the ecosystem and it messes things up, it, uh, you know, you could even go as far as saying that it's, it's bulletproof and has laser beams coming out of its eyes and it runs amok and kills everybody. So, I mean, there is that. But, I mean, surely we could put it in a cage that's large enough where it doesn't feel like a cage and that... It doesn't really affect the surrounding ecology. It can have a habitat that's self-contained. It's kind of in a vacuum. It doesn't uh, interact with the outside world. I say 100% do that. I mean, why not? And you also don't know what can come of something, which is a great lesson of life. Often when you want to get, you have a goal in mind, you want to get from point A to point B, but very rarely is it ever a straight line. It's always like, oh, I I left this job and I got another job where I met this person who introduced me to this person, which gave me the idea to do this. And, you know, it's like this windy road of, of things that connect. So you introduce this woolly mammoth into the world. Who knows? That might inspire a kid who's fascinated by this, who, you know, goes into science when he otherwise wouldn't. And that kid cures cancer or something. I mean, who knows? I mean, the opposite could equally be true. Who knows? But I'm saying woolly mammoth, yay. Sarah's saying woolly mammoth, nay. 
what do you say? Email me, hit me up on Twitter, at Ryder Mullen. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk a little bit about is my book, The Secret Manuscript, which if you haven't made the rounds on all my social media, whether it's Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, my website, uh, I, I constantly, well, not constantly, but I seem to be mentioning this uh, this book called The Secret Manuscript, and it has a mysterious cover with a building at night, and then and, and the blurb is equally as vague. Well, there's a reason for this. Sometimes it's very difficult to write the blurb of a story without ruining the book. So, so one of the reasons that which makes this book strong is that you don't know what's going to happen, and it's kind of like the mystery involved. So, if I start yapping about, oh, this happens, and then this happens, and this happens, I mean, you read it, it's not as exciting. You already expect those things. So, I try to keep it deliberately vague. Just read it. You know what my previous work is, The Art of the Hustle, Destiny and Free Will, Prodigy, I try not to write whack books. Have faith. This is a great book. And I'm not sure if I'll put it online for free or for a dollar. Either way, I try to make it very accessible. It's going to be on every major ebook site. I don't really do print books anymore because the demand is not really there and it's expensive. And I've got a whole apartment filled with books that I haven't been able to sell. So if you want print books, you can email me. I'll try to get you a copy of a print book. But for now, it's ebook only. Seems to be the way of the future. And if you haven't read the intro, I'm going to read it now for you. This is not the intro, sorry. This is the, the blurb that I have on my website. The highly anticipated third novel from Edward Mullen will be available soon in ebook stores. Working as a stock clerk in a small-town grocery store only served as a constant reminder that Ben Owen's life was meaningless. After a series of devastating events stripped him of everything he had, Ben hit rock bottom. To swing luck back in his favor, temptation beckoned him at every turn. He had the opportunity to regain not only what he had lost, but so much more. But Ben soon realized everything he gained came at a price. At its core, the secret manuscript is a riveting tale about a broken human spirit triumphing in the face of adversity by any means necessary. So there you have it, man. A very vague, very mysterious blurb, equally vague cover art and uh that should come out i'm hoping well it'll come out this summer i shouldn't say hoping it'll come out this summer but what i meant to say is i don't know when it'll be i don't know let's say two months from now three months who knows okay we've wasted enough time let's talk about my europe trip now every time i go on vacation i have a bunch of stories some of them are funny some of them are not um, but I like to come back and recap them in a podcast. It, I believe in episode 14 and 15, I went to, well, I went to Southeast Asia in uh, November of this year. I was gone for a month and I came back and I recorded a, a double back-to-back podcast. I think it's episode 14 and 15. Um, check out those. Those are hilarious. Well, not everything's hilarious, but there's some hilarious stories. Um, This trip, there wasn't as many anecdotal, hilarious stories, but for people that don't really have a chance to travel, you know, sometimes it's helpful to listen to other people who do get to travel, to experience new things, new cultures, different people, and kind of live through them. So our trip this year was to London and then to Lithuania, and in Lithuania we went to Konas and Vilnius and then we went to Latvia which is another country 
And we were gone for just over two weeks, about 16 days, but there's basically two days where you're on a plane, so about two weeks. Now, we've been to London before. In fact, Sarah's actually lived in London. She lived there for three years and moved back uh, to Vancouver, where she's uh, born and raised. And, um, you know, a month after she moved back from London, she meets me. So uh, I missed out on that whole London thing, but I went back with her in 2012, we went to check out the uh, Olympics, the London Olympics. And I think I recorded a podcast regarding that, made some videos. And now when we returned, we did a lot of this, you know, we did a lot of similar things. That last trip when we went to Europe, we were only in London for, well, we were, we were there for a while, but it was kind of broken up and it was just so hectic. There was just, you know, millions of people on the streets because of the Olympics. Uh, this time we went back, it's a little bit calmer, did a lot of shopping. Um, most of our days were shopping. We did some museums. We met with some friends of Sarah's, a friend of mine who happened to live there. Shout out to Farron. I posted a lot of these photos on Instagram and my Facebook, which is facebook.com slash writer Mullen. And, uh, you know, I'm taking pictures of all the things I bought. And one of those things, I got a suit. I originally bought a suit from this store called Next, which is not a particularly nice suit store. But, um, you know, they have decent suits and it's cheap compared to Canada, Canada, the crappiest suit will be like 500 bucks. Well, you can get cheaper suits than that, but you don't want to bother with those. They're really, really crappy. So, you know, to get a decent suit, like a Sean John or something like kind of low, low range, you're looking at about 500 bucks and it's going to be crappy. It's going to be crappy in the sense that it doesn't fit well. Um, North American style of suits is very boxy and like the arms are really baggy. It just doesn't fit well. So in 2012, I bought a suit and I got it for, I believe like $300 full wool suit, you know, European cut. It just fits amazing. And it fits amazing right off the rack. You know, a lot of times you buy a suit, you got to alter it, right? But this would just fit perfectly right off the rack. So I was pretty excited about that. And I want to get another one since, you know, you never, you can never find a suit in Canada that fits you. So in a situation where you need a suit and I'm not, I don't happen to live in London. So like, what am I going to do? I only have one suit. So I'm like, okay, I go back to London. I want to buy another suit. So I find this suit at Next. It's like a light gray, which is really cool. I wanted a light gray suit and it's, I believe, 200 pounds, which is like $400. So I go, okay, it's a little bit more expensive than the previous suit, but it's decent. It's a decent suit. It's not amazing, but I'll just buy this suit. So I get the suit. I believe it was on Regent Street or Oxford Street, one of the two kind of like main shopping districts in London. And there's this giant Primark. Now, if you don't know anything about Primark, I can't really describe Primark. It's kind of like a little bit cheaper clothing. I kind of equate it to like the clothing section in a Walmart. But Sarah says, oh, no, no, it's way better than that. I'm not sure if it's way better. It's kind of like it's, you know, it's got graphic tees and I don't know. It's like an H&M or something. Like that. Let's put it H&M, but it's like very cheap. And um, I don't think there's any brand name. I, I don't really know. I think all the names are Primark brand. I've never heard of it. But anyway, I go there and there's this giant store, two levels, men on the upstairs, woman on the downstairs. And as soon as I split from Sarah, because we don't have cell phones because we're foreigners. So I have no way to communicate with her. As soon as I walk away from her, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I should have a strategy as to how to meet up with her again, because I'm never going to find her. And the thing is with Sarah, she's, I think she's around five feet tall. So she's actually shorter than a lot of the 
clothing racks. So it's impossible to find her because if you just kind of scan the area with your eyes, she could be right in front of you, but behind a rack, you'd never know. But I didn't. For some reason, I'm like, ah, screw it. I'll, I'll be able to find her. So I go upstairs and Sarah goes, oh yeah, why don't you check out the suits at Primark? And we've already been to Primark before and I kind of knew the quality and I go a suit at Primark are you kidding me I kind of like scoffed at the idea I'm like I wouldn't wear a suit from Primark you know and um so I go upstairs I'm like I just want I'll check out the suit I'll just see what they have for suits now granted these suits are not uh wool by any means they're polyester I think they're like a poly blend which is usually a bad sign you don't really want unnatural fibers wool is usually the best And, uh, so I grabbed this suit jacket off the rack. I put it on and I'm telling you this, I've never had a suit fit so well in my entire life. It was like, you know, the hands of God stitched it just for me. It was perfect. I was like, oh my God. So I'm like, okay, well, I mean, let's get the pants too. So I got the shoes, the pants, the, the shirt. I want to see this ensemble in its glory. So, and by the way, I had just recently bought a suit like, you know, 30 minutes ago. So I'm still carrying that around. So I take all that stuff to the fitting room and I try the suit on and it fits perfectly. I I can't believe my eyes. And then I look at the price tag. The whole suit is like 90 bucks. You know, the pants are like 12 pounds. The jacket's like 45 pounds. It's like a $90 suit is crazy that fits amazingly. It's, I'm like, I have to get this suit, but I just bought a suit and I'm not in a, I'm a writer. I don't really need suits. It's just sometimes a good thing to have. So that's why I have them, but it's not like I have a job. I mean, not in finance where I I wear a suit to work. So I start justifying, well, I mean, yeah, it is polyester, but I mean, nobody else knows that. And by the time, for the amount of times I actually wear a suit, like to a wedding or you know, an interview or a meeting of some sort. I mean, literally, I'm probably going to wear this suit 10 times in my entire life. Yeah, it's not wool, but, you know, really, who cares? So I put on, I take out my, uh, the suit that I just bought from this company called Next, and I put it on. And suddenly, in comparison, it feels a lot shittier. It doesn't fit as nice. It doesn't fit as nice as I thought. You know, it's really baggy and loose in places, and it's got weird folds and... uh, I didn't like it. I, I realized I made a huge mistake. Spending $400 on something that doesn't fit well versus spending $90 on something that fits incredible. So at this time, I've been upstairs for about 10 minutes and I wanted to go back downstairs to find Sarah considering I'm in a store probably the size of Walmart. Maybe not that big. Maybe like half a Walmart. And that's the men's section. Like it, it was just ridiculous. And there's it was so busy. There's like... 4,000 people in there. So I'm like, you know what? Instead of walking around this, uh, this clothing section and, and then getting bored and then going finding Sarah, I'm just going to use that time that I would have spent shopping to find Sarah because I'm not confident that I can find her within 20 minutes. So <clears throat> what I did was I went back downstairs to the women's section. I did a lap. I looked everywhere. Couldn't find Sarah. Now, I remember as a kid, they say if you ever lost, the best thing to do is just to stand somewhere, you know, very visible, like by the end of an escalator or, you know, somewhere where someone can find you. So that's what I decided to do. I waited 20 minutes by the up and down escalator. So I'm like, well, if she went up 
to find me, to look for me, I'll be able to see see her going up. And if she's already up and she's coming down, well, I'll be right there standing there. And it's such in a focal, uh, focal point of this door that she's bound to see me. Because actually I bought these like tight orange pants, which is not something I typically wear. I just wanted to get a little... You know, sometimes when you're in a, nif- a different culture, you get a little creative, a little crazy with your wardrobe. You're like, hey, everyone else is doing it. Let's uh, let's get some, some skinny orange pants. So that's what I did. Bought skinny orange pants. I'm wearing them, and it's hard to miss me. So I'm standing there for 20 minutes. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I go back upstairs. No, I do another lap. Go back upstairs. Anyway, long story short, eventually found each other 30 minutes later. I bought the suit. Go back to next. Return that suit. That's basically enough of my, my my shopping stories. Got a bunch of cool things. Went to an M&M store, which sold M&Ms. This store is massive. It's in Leicester Square or Leicester Square. I can't pronounce it. It's five floors. Each floor is massive. And they don't sell anything. It's just M&Ms and like M&M pillows. It's like I, I can't imagine how this store stays in business it's five floors and it's really like you know they got like giant m&ms they're like 10 feet tall you can stand beside and take pictures of and every floor has the exactly the same stuff and it's all spread out it's not like they've got a ton of inventory it's like a little stand of like pillows here and then 30 feet away it's like hey you want to buy some m&ms it's like uh, okay not really and they're really overpriced It's, it's ridiculous that store anyway the highlight for me on that London trip was going to the Book of Mormon. The, the tickets are usually really expensive, especially from like our Canadian dollar. Canadian dollar sucks right now. To buy one pound, British pound, it's like it's like double, you know? So if something's five pounds, it's like 10 of our dollars, which is a lot of money. Well, $10 is not a lot of money, but, you know, doubling everything, every price they have, you have to double it. So there, the Book of Mormon is obviously a widely popular show. It's been sold out. I think it's been playing for a few months now. And our, we made our friend who tells us that there's a lottery that you can win. You can put your name in at 5 o'clock, and at 5.30, they do a draw for 21 seats. Which on, So you have to fill out your name and how many tickets you want, either one or two. If 10 people's names get drawn and each person has uh, requested two tickets, then there's only 10 names drawn or, you know, 11. But if everybody fills out one ticket, then 21 names can get drawn. So that's kind of how it works. Sarah and I show up and there's like 10 people in line and then us and we fill out the ballot. I'm like, wow, we've got a pretty good shot because if she wins, she can win two tickets. And if I win, I can win two tickets. And you don't win the tickets. I should have mentioned that you just get them at a discount at the, for 20 pounds per ticket, which is really great since the going rate at that time was like 75 pounds per, for one ticket. So in Canadian dollars, which is similar to US dollars, it's $150 a ticket. It's not cheap. Unfortunately, we didn't win the lottery, but some lady who did win the lottery had already purchased tickets and she got hers for, well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, we're standing in line and Sarah overhears this lady like, well, what should I do with these tickets? And this, her friend's like, well, try to sell them. And Sarah's like, oh yeah, you selling tickets? She's like, yeah, yeah, I got two. She showed us where to, 
where it is. And Sarah's like, okay, hold on. I'm just going to go see what they have available. And then I'll, I'll buy those. I, I might buy those. So I stand in line with Sarah and the tickets for the crappiest seats, the only v- seats that are available that are left are the crappiest seats way at the back on the balcony, nosebleeds, and they're going for $150 per ticket. So that's not good. So I'm like, I'm going to run out and negotiate with this lady. So I go, hey, man, are you still selling those tickets? She goes, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, how much did you pay for them? She shows me she paid $110 for two tickets in an awesome section. And I go, okay, uh, would you take 80 She goes, uh, I was looking to get, you know, 100 I go, could you do 90 She's like, yeah, I could do 90 I take out my money. I give her 90 pounds, which is pretty good. You know, it's like $45, 45 pounds per ticket, which is like $90 a ticket. $90 a ticket opposed to $150 a ticket, and they're much better seats. So, you know, we're pretty happy, and I'm pretty sure she could have got more money had she known. I don't think the lady knew that the only tickets available were really crappy. So I, so I was able to barter her down, which was pretty awesome. And uh, the only reason I had confidence in doing that is because I watched the show Comic Book Men on AMC, Kevin Smith's show. And the whole the whole show is people bartering back and forth. So, so that was pretty exciting. So I have never been to a play. I don't know anything about the Book of Mormon. I knew it was put on by or is written by Trey Parker and Matt Stone from... South Park. So I'm assume I've seen South Park, so I'm assuming these guys are just going to clown on Mormonism. And but I also heard that some Mormon people were not offended and in fact they show up to the Book of Mormon and try to recruit people afterwards. So I those are the basically the two pieces of information. I also knew it was popular. So those are the kind of three pieces of information I knew going in. And I I don't watch plays, I don't watch theater, I don't really watch musicals. I, I'm not, I'm just kind of going in with a completely open mind. And I was actually quite blown away. It's not as offensive as I thought. I, f- I felt like they went pretty easy on Mormonism. They're kind of making fun of situations and circumstances that I, I think everyone can kind of laugh at, but they're not like, look at these idiots, look at what they believe. Like it wasn't anything like that, but it was really, really eye-opening experience because it showed me that a play is a very powerful medium. And we happen to get this cast, which is, I believe, the North American cast. So if you went to see it on Broadway in New York, those same people were the the um, cast in London. Now, I'm going to pull up their names just to give those guys credit. So the main lead guy, Elder Price, was played by Gavin Creel. The second lead was Elder Cunningham, which is played by Jared Gertner. And says in his little bio here that he was actually the understudy. And one night, his role, the guy got sick or whatever, he stepped up and blew everyone away. And now he became the main guy. So, and he was fantastic. And then the third lady is Alexia Kadim. Kadim. She played Nabulingu. I don't know. Anyway, it goes on the list. Those are the cast that you want to see. If you see the Book of Mormon, go, go see what those people because it's very unlikely that you're going to see better. And I was just really blown away as a writer how you could write something so powerfully, like you can write songs and, and, and have a choreographed 
uh, dance and it can be funny and there's different scenes and it ties in. And it's like, oh my God, I had no idea. So I'm like, I want to be a playwright. Now, I don't think I'm there yet. I think I need, I don't even know what I would need. I'd probably need to hook up with somebody who's already done that kind of thing. And I'm not a musical guy. I'd probably need to hook up with some musicians. It doesn't seem like you could just do it on your own, like writing a novel or something. But I just think that would be awesome if you could become, you know, I don't know. It's funny how, like, when I was thinking about it, it's like, well, how am I ever going to do that? And I thought, well, how did Trey Parker and Matt Stone get into it? They got into it because they got really famous. And I think they saw, I looked this up. And I can't remember the exact story, but I think they saw another play and then met with the guy afterwards. Like the the playwright afterwards is meeting with Trey and Matt Stone. And and uh, the only reason they did that is because Trey and Matt are famous. They're, you know, the South Park guys. So, of course, the playwright's going to meet with them. And I guess he was a little bit younger. So he's looking up to them and he's he's asking these guys, like, hey, what do you think I should do with my career? And then they're like, I don't, I don't know, what, what do you want to do? And he's like, I don't know, something to do with Mormons. And they're like, yeah, like, because we were thinking about doing something about Mormons too. So they all kind of got together and wrote a play. So it's not like these South Park guys wrote this awesome play. They had help from this guy who had already had experience with plays. I figured I need to do the same thing. So yeah, that was pretty exciting. The very next day, I'm like, all I'm still like ramped up on plays. I'm like, oh my God, let's see more. So we, we see The Lion King, which is not as good. For a number of reasons. Number one, I already knew, the, I've seen the movie, so I know all the songs, like the Hukuna Matata and the Circle of Life and all this kind of stuff. I know the story, so I can kind of anticipate what's coming. The cast wasn't as strong, no offense to the cast. And, you know, the entire theater was filled with, like, grade school children. I don't know. It seemed like it kind of detracted a little bit from the experience. It wasn't as an adulty picture like the book of mormon like some of the jokes were a little more slapstick like you know somebody would fall down or slap their bum and the whole audience would just kill themselves laughing they thought that you know children what they laugh at they think that's hysterical right but for me i'm like you know it's not that funny um in fact i feel like i fell asleep at one point but anyway so from london we fly to lithuania and we land at night. We fly to this place called Konos, Lithuania. And we land at night. It's, I don't know, like 8 o'clock at night. It's dark. And there's this little tiny airport. No offense to Konos, Lithuania. But your airport is puny. It's like, it's smaller than, I don't know. It's like one quarter of a Costco. It's so small, in fact, that our plane, when we exited, which, by the way, was like, you know, 10 below zero. It was freezing cold. Our whole uh, the whole um, load of the plane, like all the passengers, couldn't fit in the building at one time. It could fit like 30 people and then the rest kind of snaked outside in this in this lineup. It's freezing cold. So anyway, we go inside and wait in line or queue as they call in Europe. And the customs guy is checking people in the country. He looks at our Canadian passports and he's kind of like, what are you guys doing here? You know, he's giving this like this, like... Who, who comes to Konas? And we're like, uh, we're coming to check out the sites. I don't know. Like, isn't, uh, isn't there touristy things to do here? So it was kind of funny. And then so he gives us a couple stamps. We're on our way. So from there, we take a bus. And the bus has like this little cash register where you have to like put down coins. And they, the tray comes out. And this little receipt prints out. It's like... <laughs> 
it's like super ghetto and um you know the bus was modern everything is modern but they just got sold some crappy technology i kind of equate it to like do you ever see that simpsons episode with the uh the monorail which i believe conan o'brien wrote and uh, this guy comes into town this like you know fast talking salesman he's like you know what you need you need a monorail and everyone you know he rallies everyone up and they buy this monorail and uh, give him a bunch of money for this contract and then uh, he builds the monorail you know really cheaply and, and crappily and then he splits town sells shelbyville a monorail and then later the monorail breaks down and it falls apart and catches fire and all this kind of stuff that was like the uh the cash register it's like somebody came to town it's like you know what you need you need a cash register you can put your coins in you get this receipt and they got swindled it seems like really archaic technology but anyway so this bus driver doesn't speak english and we kind of have a map. Well, we have a map, but it's not really clear where what stop we need to get off because it's it's a map. It doesn't tell you bus stops, right? So we're kind of watching out for main streets and judging like, okay, that was just this street. It's probably, you know, let's get off at this street. So we asked the driver, we pointed, this is where we want to go. And he grunted something in, in Lithuanian language. I don't know what language they speak, but we couldn't understand him. I sit at the back, and then when we get to that spot, we're like, okay, I think we need to get off at this next stop. The guy kind of signaled us. The, the driver signaled us like, oh, hey, this is your stop. So we're like, okay, cool. So we get off. We got our luggage. It's freezing. We're in the middle of this uh, country and this city that we've never been to. We don't know anything about it, or you know, we know very little about it. You know, it's late at night, and there's nobody around. There's a few kind of scragglers. I don't know anything about Lithuania. I don't know if it's safe or not. And I've got my girlfriend with me and I don't want to get robbed. I don't know. You, these kind of things play in your mind. So there's a taxi. There's like one taxi just parked curbside, like 15 feet away. And I don't really know the direction to our hotel. We have a map. And, but again, you know, it's tough sometimes to judge um, distances on, on maps or, you know, where to go. We don't want to get lost. So like, screw it. Let's just get this taxi. We get in this taxi. We point to our map. It's like, hey, can you take us here? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, how much? He said something like, eight liters and i think i think that was like equivalent to like twelve dollars in canadian so make a twelve dollar twelve dollars not a lot of money to take us to our hotel i'm like okay whatever let's just pay it we didn't try to barter so we get in and the guy basically drives around the block like our hotel was so close i had no idea he totally ripped us off twelve dollars he just drove us around the block but he drove us down like this weird dark alley and I'm kind of thinking, like, uh, this doesn't seem like the hotel. There's no way a hotel is down here. So the driver is taking us down this weird alley. I'm kind of sitting on the edge of my seat, like, you know, are we able to get robbed or something? So it drives down this winding alley. It's it's in this, like, old part of town. So it's, like, cobble st- um, stone streets. There's not a lot of street lights. It's dark. And then he's like, okay, you're here. I'm like, what? And as we look up, there's our hotel. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool you know we we're in the cab for maybe two minutes give him his money get out check in i believe it's like 11 o'clock or something at this time i can't remember i think we yeah i think it was really late like 11 so we're like well most things are closed let's go just kind of walking around see if there's anything because we haven't eaten dinner right so we set our bags down in our hotel go back out it's freezing we got our big puffy coats on our uh, toques, our scarves. So we start walking and we start snapping pictures of a lot of these like old ancient buildings because they're all lit up by these big spotlights. And it's like really awesome. You know, we're in a foreign land. We've never seen, you know, giant churches like this. So we're taking pictures. We go down by the water. Um, there's like the river and, you know, the the moonlight's reflecting off it. And so 
we find this like restaurant which happens to be open and order some food. It's a really cool restaurant. I posted some photos on my on my Facebook. Also, if you go to my blog, which you probably won't remember the title, but it's platosacademic.wordpress.com. And um, you can actually link this to my website, which is easier to remember, edwardmullen.com. You go to link, click my blog, boom, takes you there. There's a post that I made a, a week ago, which is called Our First Night in Conus. And it talks about our first night, some of the pictures we take, uh, we took um, the restaurant. uh, I think I took some pictures of the food that we got. And I posted a video of our time in Kona. So the next day, um, we're checking out this town. And I I don't know anything about Kona. I didn't Google it before I went. I didn't look at pictures. I had no idea what to expect. But what I did discover from the... The previous night, the the food was amazing. And pretty much anything on the menu, I could have got. I'm like, it all looked good. And it was good. And so the next day, we're walking around this really old part of town. It's like hundreds of years old. It's still functional. Like, you know, it's been refurbished. So there's offices or stores or whatever they have in there. And we're going to, you know, walk around the streets, checking out old churches. We go check out this, like, tram thing that, like, takes us up this, like, really steep hill. And then from the top, we can kind of take pictures and look over the city. So that's kind of cool. I don't remember. I don't think we spent a lot of time in Konas. If I had to remember, we stayed that night again. And then the next day we went to, we took a train to Vilnius. Yeah, I think that's right. So <clears throat> so we took a train to Vilnius, um, got off and walked to our hotel, which wasn't too far away, checked in put our bags down and just went around checking things out. Now, Sarah knew that there was some festival and I should probably Google the name of the, the, the festival. I'm not going to do that, but it's really huge. Apparently it's been going on for hundreds of years. It's this traditional fair where, you know, all these merchants set up shop and there's live music. I have a video of this. You can also link to it on my blog or my, my YouTube channel. So I had no idea that that was going to take place, and it went on for blocks. We checked out that festival for two days, and we saw maybe a fifth of it. I don't know, just a tiny amount. It seemed like every every shop kind of had the same stuff. It's a lot of uh, handmade socks or handmade woodwork items or little candy or biscuits or cookies, um, homemade beer. Sarah tried like this honey beer. So it was pretty interesting. Some dude came up to us at night. And it was like, he's kind of sketchy, right? We're, we're like standing watching these like pizzas being made in this like traditional forno oven, like this flame grilled pizza oven. And uh, this guy comes up to us. He goes, hey, are, do you guys need a guide? It's like, uh, no, we're good. It's like, come on, I'll, I'll take you on a tour. It's like, no, we don't want a fucking tour. It's like, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And, um, and he's like, okay, well, can I have some money? We're like, what? No. He's like, come on, I need a drink. Give me some money. I'm like, I'm like, let's, Sarah, let's get out of here. Screw this guy, right? He's being kind of creepy. That was kind of the only sketchy thing. We were walking around in Lithuania. This is actually from uh, in Konas. We were walking around with a map. It, Sarah was walking around with a map in our hands. And it's not that we were lost. We knew where we were going. We are just kind of plotting our path, where we want to go. And some lady saw this, stopped, you know, and waited for Sarah. She's like 15 feet away, stopped, waited for Sarah to catch up to the car. And she goes, Hey, do you guys need help? 
do you need directions or a ride or it's like you know the people in lithuania and and um and latvia are so nice and the food was amazing yeah i i, I was really impressed man they were really nice we went to this really awesome restaurant our first night in Vilnius, and it's called Divaras, D-V-A-R-A-S. And I think I've, I'm looking at the picture right now. It says Fort Divaras. If you can Google that, if you are ever in Vilnius, Lithuania, go to this restaurant. It's incredible. Not only is the food good, but you have to basically go into this basement and the entire restaurant is like in this cave it's pretty awesome. And they have all these like nooks in inside. It's not a cave like rock, but it's like a man-made cave, like a brick. Well, there's rock. It's, it's really cool. You can see pictures of it on online. Well, and also on my, uh, my Facebook and, and, um, that blog that I wrote. And I think I even maybe put on my, my, uh, the YouTube video. So anyway, we're walking around, checking the sites and one of the great things about Vilnius is it's a it's a much bigger city than Konas. So there's like this old fort from, I don't know, five, six hundred years ago. It's probably older. I want to give it its proper respect. Maybe it's a thousand years old. And you go to the top of this mountain and like there's this lookout point, which is kind of like a castle structure. It's all brick and a bunch of other kind of stuff. So I guess in the olden days, I didn't read the blur, but I guess in the olden days, this would be a pretty awesome spot to, you know, have your king maybe. I don't know. Because to get up there would be so difficult to get up that hill without getting picked off by bow and arrows or, you know, if you were like an invading army. It's like, how are you going to get to the top of that hill without getting killed? You know, we happen to have this you know, because it's modernized, they had this um, trolley on this like kind of train track thing that pulled us up the mountain. And on top, there was like these brick structures and you could go in it and inside is kind of like a little museum. And uh, they had some old school weapons, like some armor and some some swords. And I didn't post too many photos of the inside because it's not really that exciting to look at. But um, I have a few pictures of the outside and then from the top, because it's at the top of this hill, you can look out across Vilnius and take some pictures. So we happen to uh, stay and remain for the most part in the old center, but the city is actually modern on the outside. So they built like a modern industrial city, which, you know, have has office buildings and, um, you know, manufacturing plants and, you know, modern apartments. But where we were staying was like all, you know, from a thousand years old cobblestone streets and old churches and old statues and stuff like that. So it was really cool to see the contrast from the top. And basically the river divided these two kind of juxtaposed cities. So we're like, hey, well, just for uh, curiosity's sake, why don't we just cross over this bridge here and uh, check out the other side? So that's what we did. We went down. We're spending like easily 10 hours a day on our feet walking around and at this time i don't feel well i feel sick actually like i'm you know when you you get sick and like the back of your throat kind of feels sticky when it when you swallow and and there's just so many people that i'm interacting with like i'm not interacting i'm not having conversations but like i'm around 10,000 people touching things and you're just bound to catch something, some virus, airborne virus, or somebody touches you or some something that's on the money or whatever. So I'm like, I don't feel good. And my health is declining rapidly. 
you know, I got a headache and no, I don't have a headache, but I feel kind of, I, you know, I can't really remember how I felt to be honest with you. I just, I didn't feel well. Sarah felt fine. And, and on top of that, my feet were sore. I was assuming that Lithuania and Latvia would be covered in snow. So I brought my only boots, my only shoes for the entire trip were these giant, like these really heavy Timberland boots. I'm like, okay, well, it's better to have this if it's snowy and slushy and rainy than to have like a Nike free run sneaker, which is really lightweight and mesh and it's comfortable. But if it's, what if it's snowing or it's raining? I'm totally screwed, right? So I brought these really heavy boots. I'm clunking around all day in them. My feet are sore. I'm not feeling well. It's freezing cold. So Sarah is like, you know, we're snapping pictures and we're walking around we eventually go back to the hotel. I'm like, yeah, I need to lay down. I don't, I don't feel good. Just give me like a half an hour. I can't really remember to be honest with you. I go back to the hotel. I think I have a nap. I have a nap for like an hour. I'm drinking liquids and it's like, you know, late at night, it's like eight, nine o'clock and we haven't eaten you know, since lunchtime. We can't just skip dinner. She's like, come on, man. Like we got to go back out and get dinner because for obvious reasons. So oh, I, I really didn't feel like going out to get dinner. But I went out, I put on my clothing, I walked out, I'm cold, I'm shivering, I'm sick, eating food. I'm not, I have no appetite, but I'm eating anyway. Go back to the hotel, blowing my nose, all this kind of stuff. I believe I had a bath, like a really hot bath. I just soaked in it. I drank liquids and I felt... I felt much better the next day. I think I even had some, we brought some like cold and flu tablets so, you know, the next day I feel a lot better, but still I'm kind of a little run down. And, um, you know, a day after that, I, I feel better. I still have, I'm like taking baths, like really hot baths. I'm just soaking every night, drinking tons of fluid. I eventually kind of kick it out of my system after like a day, but I still have a cough. I have a very sore throat and a cough. I'm coughing all day long, which is an, an annoyance, but it's not really like you're, the cough is going to slow you down or anything like that. And even right now, I came back, I believe, on March 21st, and right now it's April 5th. I still have a little bit of a cough. It's pretty hard to get rid of. So that was basically Vilnius in a nutshell. What I can say is very beautiful, very picturesque city. We walked along the water. I, I tried to capture the essence of the city in my YouTube video. The iPhone video sucks so bad. Like When you move it around, it doesn't look good. It kind of... It's really choppy and the quality sucks. So I apologize for that. The videos, I took a bunch of videos, but not all of the videos made it into the YouTube video because I'm splicing and editing together. I try to make a a cohesive narrative that's easy to follow and it doesn't give you a headache because the camera's moving around. So you can check that out in uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, Links can be found on my website. We spent a couple days in Vilnius. Then we took a bus to this place called Riga, Latvia. Now, I don't know anything about Riga, Latvia. Again, I don't know what to expect. I've never Googled it. I don't look at pictures. But it was very similar in the sense there's a really old kind of town and then a new kind of modern town. So when we get there, it was the sun was just setting. Um, We have this really crude map that I don't think has many street names. Maybe it has like one or two of the main streets. It It was proved to be useless. Like... So we're looking for uh, a hotel called the Welton Hotel. And we're walking along kind of 
the water and the sunset is to our left. We're walking down these old cobblestone streets, and I see a Welton hotel. I go, ah, here it is. She says, no, no, this is not the Welton we're looking for. This is a different Welton. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, we have no idea where we're going, and I'm pretty sure these guys know where they're you know, their other location is. Let's go in and ask them. Sarah's like, okay, fine. So we go in and I go, Hey man, where's the, where's your other Welton? Like, Oh yeah, yeah. Just, just go outside, head right, take it down to the end of the next main street, hang left. You can't miss it. So I'm like, okay, cool. So sure enough, we followed her advice, find our hotel, check in again. It's late at night. I can't remember maybe like eight, nine o'clock pretty much everything's kind of closed down. There's still some, you know, a few people on the streets because Riga is more of a party destination from what I understand. So it's a lot of like young kind of travelers that go there and have a good time. So we're walking around, everything's lit up, you know, from spotlights. So we get all these really amazing shots at night of the cobblestone streets and the moon in the background and these statues and these really ancient structures, like, you know, a thousand year old church. It's pretty incredible. So we eventually found some restaurant. It was, you know, decent food, pretty good food. And went back to our hotel and just, I think I had another bath and then went to bed. Yeah, the next day we just walked around the city square. I have all this on on a blog that I wrote called something about like the ancient mysteries of Riga or something like that. And there's a video I made as well, which is in the blog, also on my website, also on my YouTube channel. So that kind of give you an idea of what Riga is all about. Now, Riga is much bigger than the last two cities we went to. I believe it's the capital of Latvia, and it's pretty incredible. We went up to the top of this really old church into kind of like this tower and this lookout point and took photos and videos all around, like this 360 view of the city. It was really incredible. There's like water and, you know, the river and the... Uh, really old part of town, the new part of town, and these nice bridges. And then we get to this old church, and, you know, nobody's really there. It's it's the off-season. It's There's no, there's hardly any tourists. In fact, in this one church, we're the only people there. And we're walking around all these really ancient artifacts, you know, an old cannon, um, an old table. And there's laying out in the open, just like, you know, they're they're behind this wall, like the church has kind of like this, it's encapsulated by this bri- this tall brick wall. But these things are b- pretty much like outside. You can check out videos and the photos. And then there's this one thing, which is like this giant boulder with a, like a weird face carved into it. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I read the blurb. And as it turns out, it's pretty interesting. I talk about this in my blog. Uh, it's called the Stonehead of Salas Pills. And I believe Salas Pills is the name of a city, if I'm not mistaken, or a town. I don't know. But um, so this is called like a stone idol, um, I guess, for like worshiping purposes or something. I'm not really sure. But the earliest information about it, according to this kind of plaque that was mounted by it, was traced back to the mid-19th century and as the story goes, a farmer from this township called Salaspils discovered the stone idol on his property in 1851. Now, imagine that you, you're just a farmer from 1851 and you dig up this like stone head, which could have come from anywhere. Like who, who knows where this thing come from? So immediately I'm intrigued. I was like, oh, wow. So this uh, farmer, he didn't know what to do with it. So he put it on display, you know, he gave it to a museum 
and it went on display for the next 25 years up until 1875. That's what like the records of this stone head can be traced back to. And then it disappeared for the next 125 years. Nobody knew where it was for 125 years. And then it finally resurfaced in the year 2000 in the very yard of the church where we were standing in. It was just somebody found it in the backyard of this church and it just resides on this like wooden flat. You know what I mean? Like uh, those wooden crate kind of flats. It's just sitting there out in the open and its origins of where it came from and the dis- disappearance it still remains a mystery to this day. So I don't know. That captures my imagination. I love that kind of stuff where it's like mystery involved. I mean, this could be some ancient alien stuff. We don't know. So anyway, that night we went to some sky bar, which is really awesome. Got some drinks on top of, I think it's like a Radisson hotel. And it's like one of the highest buildings. And we got to overlook the city at night. And we saw like every three blocks, there was like a Radisson hotel. It's pretty funny. But inside was decorated really nice. And it's like really modern and chic. I got some photos of that. Um, more photos on my Facebook than the blog and the video, but nevertheless, you can kind of get an idea of what I was talking about. And so, and then from there, we kind of did an impromptu trip because we walked around, we saw some stuff, we pretty much saw everything that we wanted to see. And Sarah's like, okay, well, what do you want to do tomorrow? I'm like, I have no clue. She's like, well, according to this guidebook, they say your mala is pretty nice. I say, what's your mala? It's like, oh, it's like this little beach town it's like an hour away i say okay let's check it out now mind you it's freezing cold and it's windy and we're we're bundled up wearing long johns so we go to this beach this small town like you know it's dead there's nobody there because it's not touristy season Uh, i think we take a train out there it's pretty cool walking around there's nothing really to see there but to me sometimes i go to a place and I think to myself, wow, it'd be really cool. Like, you know, imagine I was like a really famous writer. Let's say I had like $10 million in the bank account, like, uh, you know, like a John Grisham or, or like a Stephen King. It might be cool to pick a city or a town like Yermala. You know, nobody's going to hassle you. And like, if you say you're like some famous dude, you just, you have a little property there. You're writing novels. You're going to the beach. You're getting your groceries. You're interacting with the local folks. I don't know. Something like that appeals to me. I got that same impression in a place called Bern, Switzerland. And it just seemed really, it's really expensive. But I mean, if you had the money and you didn't have a life to go back to, you know what I mean? Like you don't have a job or something. If it's just like, you're just a, you know, you and your wife and, and you're this really successful writer or you're this really successful person that you don't need to worry about money. And you don't, you know, you don't run a company where people are relying on your decisions. If you could just kind of hang out there for six months and, you know, rent a little property and hopefully one day I can do that. But anyway, your Mala was kind of one of those places we're walking the beach where we go to another kind of rooftop cafe, which we didn't really get service. So we just left yeah, sun was setting, took some nice photos of the sunset, got back on the train, went back to Riga. I think when we got back, we had to get our bags from the hotel. I can't really remember. Maybe we already had our bags. I think straight away we went back to a shuttle that took us to the Riga airport, which take us back to London. And then from London, yeah, I think that that's what happened. Then from London, we have like an hour and a half commute back into the city 
to find to back to our place. It was kind of a pain in the ass. It was so late, and um, we were tired and exhausted. I'm carrying on these bags, this really heavy bag, and you know I'm in these boots, which are hurting my feet. So, so yeah, so we were in London. We split up the the London trip. We were only in London for a few days. We did the Lithuania and Latvia, and then when we came back, we did the remaining of the trip. It's like a week and a half in in London. Like I said, did a lot of shopping, uh, checked out some museums, checked out some plays, and then came back home. All in all, it was a good trip. I got, uh, I didn't necessarily get any stories. Last time I went to Europe, I got a story idea and I wrote an entire book on it. That book hasn't yet to come out. It'll come out next after the secret manuscript. But in this trip, I didn't really get any story ideas regarding, you know, I'm not going to write a story about Lithuania per se, but I did get some cool ideas that I would otherwise not have come up with because maybe I saw a headline on a newspaper or I saw, you know, an artifact in a museum or I saw a tattoo or saw something in this trip that sparked my imagination and I, I write everything down. If you don't know, I write these things down. I put them in my, uh, my iPhone. I email them to myself. I get back home. I put it in my list. So it was a successful trip in terms of, you know, experiencing the world, experiencing new cultures and foods and interacting with people and, and that kind of thing. I got uh, a lot of new clothes out of it and I saw some plays, uh, which maybe, you know, maybe inspired me to one day write a play and got some story ideas and and a podcast and some blogs and some videos. So I think it was a successful trip. I'm not sure when our next trip will be. Probably by the end of the year, we'll do another major trip. Maybe South America, maybe New Zealand. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, thanks for listening. Check out my new book, The Secret Manuscript, what's coming out available in ebook stores everywhere. All my other stuff... I made for free. If you don't, uh, if you if you want to own my stuff, you've read it somewhere else. You you want to own it? Um, download it for free. I don't mind. Tell your friends. Read it again. Have it in your ebook collection. Uh, I got YouTube videos, podcasts. Uh, follow me on Facebook at Writer Mullen, Twitter at Writer Mullen, Instagram at Writer Mullen. So thank you for all your support. I appreciate the hell out of it. Um, I'll continue to write books and put out content and uh, yeah, until next time.